So now is the opportunity for us to sit meditation here and to do one of the most important things that we can do in life, which is make our mind calm. If we know how to make our mind calm, this will, this will give the mind strength. It will give the mind strength enough to, to see through delusion and to gain what we call right view. So any, any sort of experiences that you, might, that you might have while sitting meditation, whether they be good or whether they be bad, just, just have mindfulness. If you have some sort of good experience, don't get elated with it. Don't get carried away with it. What you need to do is bring your mind back to the meditation object that you're using, be it the breath or investigating the body. Whatever method you use to calm the mind, just bring your mind back to that at that point in time. Because once, once one has mindfulness within their meditation object, this will bring the mind, give the mind strength and bring a peace to the mind. So for now we're going to sit for about 20 minutes. At this point in time I'd just like to ask for the opportunity from Jalkun Mahasamai, who I greatly respect, and all my fellow monks here today, and all of you, my friends in the Dharma, who have come here who are intent on practicing. Some of you have been here all day now. You've been here since very early this morning. Uh, giving the food for the monks and then practicing all day. So by now, those of you that have been here for a long time, your mind should be quite calm and peaceful at the moment. So now is the time for you to really listen to the Dhamma. And what I want to talk about today is not just about the practice of, jump, practice of Dhamma, but life with Lumpur Chara as well, and the way he taught about life and life uh, practice within life. Before I ordained, I, I met a monk called Lumpo Bunna and, and he, he was a very, very good monk and he gave me the advice, if I wanted to go and ordain, I should, I should go and find either two, monk, two of these monks. I should go see Lumpo Fun or Ajahn Chah. In the end, I decided on Ajahn Chah because um, very close to my home, there was, he had a branch monastery called Wat Bun Ratiwan and I already knew the abbot of that monastery. And by that time, Lumpur Fun was becoming quite famous and there was, he had lots of people coming to visit his monastery all the time. So Ajahn Chah seemed like a, a, a good option. Every, every year while I was a lay person, I, would, I, had, I had the good fortune to, go, to be able to go and pay respects to some very, very good monks in Thailand. Monks like Lumpur Khao, Lumpur Ted and Lumpur Fun. I would go to Isan and pay my respects to these, these monks. I would also go up to the north of Thailand and pay respects to monks like Lumpur Wan. And I had the good fortune to go and pay respects to them, but I even had a greater fortune to listen to their teachings. And in, in essence, they all taught the same thing. They all taught that we should let go of our clinging. Uh, just an example of this, when I, went to see, when I went to pay respects to Lumpur Fun once, there was a lay person there and... They wanted they wanted Lumpur Fun to 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 bless the sign for their for their house or the, uh, sorry for their shop, and so Lumpur Fun asked. They, this person came back many times and kept asking him, "Could he bless the sign for their shop? Could he bless the sign for their shop?" And every time Lumpur Fun would ask, "Have you got everything ready yet? Is it, you know is everything in the shop ready? You know are you ready for business?" And and so when, when they finally said, "Yeah, we've got everything ready," he said, "Okay, just open it then." You know, just do it. You don't need me to bless the sign. He said, he said, because if you do something like this, this is taking an outer refuge. This is taking something that's, 
that's uh, that's not a true refuge. The thing that you the thing that you you should count on and that you should take as your refuge is the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Um, because if you take refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this is this is what's going to help you uh, get rid of all your deluded views that you have. So we all we all want right view. We all want to see the world in the correct way. So the start of seeing the world in the correct way is taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. When we have when we have taken that refuge and we have great faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, there'll be no there'll be no doubt in the mind. There'll be no shaking off the course. And I followed this teaching and I did that and I really took that on the heart. So in time I actually ended up ordaining at Wat Pong with Ajahn Chah. Already I'd practiced for a while as a layperson but even though I had ordained I still had a lot of doubts about the practice and, what, and which way was the correct way to practice that would take me to the final goal. I was quite lucky though. I, I had the opportunity to be, to be close to Ajahn Chah and to listen to the way that he taught meditation. You know, a lot of the times he wouldn't he wouldn't teach a lot. He wouldn't he wouldn't go into great detail about teachings. He'd say he sometimes he might just say something quite simple like, you know, if you know how to investigate your food properly, you you're the one who knows how to meditate. So, because he another one of his teachings was, uh, if if. If you get into too much thinking, this is this is can be quite an obstacle for you. He he compared it to picking a mango and you using the a stick to pick the mango. If you have a stick, it's a stick with a basket, by the way, a stick with a basket. And if you've got the stick that's too long, you're not going to be able to pick the mango. But if you've also got a stick that's too short, you're not going to be able to get a mango. So the practice is a lot like this. You compare it to reading too many books. Um, you know, if you read too many books and, and you're, you're too, you think too much and you're too up in the head, then you, you won't be able to gain any peace of mind. But on the other side, if you, you know, if you're, if you're ignorant totally to the teachings, it's, you know, you won't, you won't progress either. But in saying that, the, the great teachers in our tradition, you know, they, they, in essence, they didn't really teach much. All they taught us really to do was have mindfulness. To do quite simple things like just when we're walking, just using a simple meditation word like butto, but with the left foot, right, uh, toe with the right foot. But anyway, to, to do this, to, to really have confidence in this, we need faith and we need, to faith, we need the faith to actually know that, that this will be the, the path to peace and the path that leads us to the Dhamma. So, in essence, in essence, Lumpur Chah was one of these. Ajahn Chah was one of these teachers. He mainly, his main, the main thing he taught was mindfulness, but he also taught a lot of other things, things that were very beneficial, like having res- having respect to the elder members in the sangha. Um, if if you can learn to do this and you can learn to humble yourself in uh, towards elders, you notice you notice a lot of the different kinds of thoughts that come up in your mind and. If you don't want to pay respects to them, or if you don't want to do any of these things, you notice the different kinds of mental defilements arising right there. So something just as simple as this is a great lesson. Because Ajahn Chah had many, many ways of teaching. There, there was there was also another example of at one time we were making the the Ubosita Hall at Wat Pong. and at that point in time there was uh, there was all these great big rocks in the ground, and we had to we had to dig them out, and we needed to smash them up. To make uh, to make like the concrete or whatever, 
And so I, w- I was there, I was helping doing this and, uh, and I was just looking at it and it's like we've been working for half an hour smashing rocks and we've only got a handful of rocks. And for me, I, I, I looked over this and I'm like, well, this is, this is a waste of time. Why don't we just buy rocks? Um, but you know, Lumpur Char gave us some food for thought on this. It's like uh, these rocks, you know, they don't come about easy. And and at that point in time, I didn't I didn't really understand it, but now now looking back on these on this, I understand it a lot more. To actually get just something like a handful of rocks like that, it's like you really have to put a lot of work in. You really you know you have to you have to like maybe even blow up a hill. You have to dig the hole. You have to pull the rock out. It takes many people. It takes a lot of it takes a lot of manpower. All these different things, and then someone has to go and buy it. Um, someone has to have the faith to go and buy it, and then go and give it to us monks at Nompapong. So, but even on the deeper level, this this is this is about the faith of lay people, and you know, every basic lesson is everything in life isn't easy. If you if you want something, you you know you have to work for it. Like your morality that that you're trying hard to keep, it's something that's not easy to do. But once, but once you do keep it, it becomes very beneficial for you. So all these things, everything down to like a handful of rocks, this all comes from the the accumulated virtues of the Buddha, and the and the great and the great merit of the Buddha, and the great merit of the Buddha that he taught the Dharma to to the world. And when he taught that Dharma, there were those that followed it, and, the, and those that practiced it, and those that saw that Dharma that he taught. Ajahn Chah gave an example of the Dhamma that he that he that he would teach people. This this is something he that that he did. It wasn't easy for him to come on the Dhamma that he that he realized, and and for him to go out and teach teach everybody. For him to be in that point where he was teaching, he had to had to pass through many hardships. He had he lived in he lived in charnel grounds. He lived in very deep forests. Had to deal with great fear. He, he even he even had to how would you say like pass through the mouth of a tiger, you have to face a tiger. You know, he, Ajahn Chah really put his life, in the lo- life on the line to, to see the Dhamma that he, that he finally taught all of us. And so Ajahn Chah, he, he was one that taught from a pure mind and, it, and he, got the Dhamma, he got the Dhamma that we're all searching for. So now that we know that, that, that it's coming from a pure, the, the Dhamma that he's teaching is coming from a pure mind, this is something that we should follow. In the old days of Wat Nampapong, Ajahn Chah was, was really quite strict with his monks. He, he really trained them. He had a lot of time. At, he had a lot of time in those days. He'd do things like um, uh, he'd make the monks sit up or sit meditation move. You know, he'd make you sit from 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 sundown to sun up, and then then after that you'd have to you'd have to go on arms round and go and have the meal. And then even then, after he's finished the meal, he he would make you come back and sit in, and, and he'd and he'd start talking, and he he might even give a dumb dumb discourse, and he might just talk and talk and talk until until three o'clock, and and none of us could go. Like we, it, it would be seen as quite disrespectful if we just wanted to get up and go back to our kutis and have a sleep. Obviously, all of us wanted to get up and and run away and go back to our kutis and have a sleep, but we we didn't out of respect for Ajahn Chah. He he was doing this so he could train us all. He train us all in, in the ways of Dharma. And the, these are the kinds of reasons that because Ajahn Chah put so much so much work and so much time into training his monks, his monks respected him greatly. Even even a little thing like where we would spend the, the rains retreat. 
you know, this is something we would never decide for ourselves. We would, we would just leave it up to, it, it would be up to him where we would spend our reigns retreat. We had no choice in the matter. For me personally, I, I was quite lucky. I, I, had the, I had the good fortune to be quite close to him. I, I, would, I, would, I was his assistant for a long time and I, I'd help him with many different uh, clerical activities in the monastery, uh, different kinds of paperwork, different kinds of running of the monastery um, and doing things like uh, recording his talks when he was giving them. So I w- for me, I feel very, very fortunate. I was very lucky to be there a lot of the time when he was teaching the Dharma. So I had, I had every opportunity to listen to his teachings. So sometimes with Ajahn Chah, he, he would put on an appearance where he was, he'd just look like he was, he didn't, he was carefree, he didn't, he didn't care about anything, he looked like he'd just doing everything easy or whatever, and he wasn't, that he wasn't very sort of ferocious or whatever. But in reality, all of us monks, we were all quite scared of him, we were all quite, we, we, we knew what he, we knew what his, his teaching methods were really like. Um, in, but in saying that, you know, there was, there's many examples where he, you know, he, he showed a lot, of, a lot of great kindness to a lot of people. There was a case where there was, there was one novice, like a, a, very, a very young monk, someone who isn't quite a monk yet, just a little kid. Um, but this novice, he, he, he was very, very naughty. Like, he, you know, he'd always be doing things and getting into trouble and, and the monks didn't really like him. But, but Ajahn Chah was quite worried about him. And, but... And Ajahn Chah actually gave him a nickname, like you know, Monkey Novice. So, and and so, but as I said, everyone, nobody liked this novice. He was he was naughty. He was everything. But but Ajahn Chah would like used to really really praise him and try to find the good in him. What one thing that this novice was really really good at, he could he could take Ajahn Chah's false teeth and he'd clean them and he'd clean them really good and he'd scrub them and he'd make them clean as you could possibly get them. Because at that time, Ajahn Chah, he would, he would eat betel nut, which makes your mouth all red and uh, all these different things. So this novice, he'd get in, he'd clean them and they'd be shining. And so, so basically nobody saw any good in this novice, but, but Ajahn Chah, you know, he, he, found, he found the good in him and, and he saw that. So what he was teaching everyone is, you know, that there is some good in everyone. Um, and so the Ajahn just asked, you know, he was asking about, like, does... Has anybody seen any Davidas, any any heavenly beings, or any things like that? No. Does, it, does anybody who believes in them? Yes, we've got a few. Okay. Okay. There's, there's you know, there's many there's many stories about Ajahn Chah with 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 you could say like psychic phenomena but he, he, he was very quiet about these sort of things he, he, he kept a lot of these th- sort of things to himself but there, there, were, there were many examples that I, I saw things for myself and, and you know I, the things that I, can't, that I can't doubt just for example once uh, another, another time when the monks were working on the Obosita Hall at Wan Pong, um, all day it looked like it was going to rain the sky was really really dark because what they were doing that day was pouring cement and so any, anyway, like it, the clouds were very dark all day or whatever and then it, it, got to, it basically got to the end of the day and I was with Ajahn Chah at that point in time and, and he said to me, he said, go, go and check out the cement work and see if they've finished it yet. And so anyway, I went and I looked at it um, and yeah, obviously they'd finished. Um, but also, you know, the sky was like really, really black. And so any, anyway, 
the next day that some, some lay people came from, from in the city in, in Ubon and it's not too far away from, from Wat Nampopong. And so Ajahn Chah just asked, you know, how is it, you know, did it, you know, and he sort of slyly asked him, he said, you know, did it rain in the city last night? And they're like, yeah, it poured down, you know, it just, it wouldn't stop all day sort of thing. So, you know, and in that he gave, like, he gave like a sly, he gave me like a sly little smile sort of thing. And so it's, it's like things like that. We, he's, he's most likely, he's asked the David as to like to stop it raining on the monastery or whatever. But these, these sort of things, he'd never say it straight. And, you know, and the next, that morning he went in and he, he sort of gave a talk about it. But you know, if, if you didn't know the if you didn't know the real story of what happened, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have guessed what he was talking about. You know, the, there was another time where there was there was this little kid, another story of a naughty kid. Um, this kid uh, he came with his family, and his family actually asked from asked for Ajahn Chah for some holy water, and whatever they brung the bottle, and they said, "Oh, can we have some holy water, Ajahn Chah?" And he's like, "Okay," and he just grabbed it and he's got done. And he gave it back to him. And anyway, this little, and, and they all sort of like, oh, he didn't really do anything. So anyway, they walked outside and the kid had the bottle and the kid's like, you didn't do anything to this. You know, this is ridiculous. And he walked outside and he walked outside the monastery gate and he tipped it out. He went to tip it out. But as he tipped it out, none of the water, none of the water poured out. So he's trying to tip it out and like no water was flowing out. He's like, oh, he did do something to this. <laughs> And so anyway, he, he's, he's quickly grabbed it and put the lid back on, and they and they all raced back inside, and they and they they said sorry to Lumpur Chah for, for to Ajahn Chah for not believing him. So, you know, because in essence, what what Ajahn Chah was really really teaching people was to let go of their views, to let go of all the wrong views that they have about the world. Uh, he, you know, as I said, this 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 wasn't a great special, you know, you know, this he wasn't teaching anything higher esoterical. You know, you, you didn't really teach too much. It's just, you know, you just, you have mindfulness and you let go. You let go of all these views and opinions. Uh, like another, 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 another example of Ajahn Chah doing strange things is there was a monk who, who wanted to come and stay at, at, at Wat Nampopong. And he, he was actually quite senior. He had, he'd been a monk for 18 years. But he came and, and Ajahn Chah said to him, okay, you sit on the end of the line and you take your food at the end of the line and you, you sit down with the novices. So he did that, and, but he did that. Ajahn Chah made him do it for a very, very long time. He made him do it for like over a month. And so this monk anyway, he's, he's, you know, he's sitting around and sitting in his hut or whatever and he's like, yeah, I've heard all these stories about Ajahn Chah and he can, that he's such a great monk and he's enlightened and he can read minds or whatever. It's like, I wonder if he can really read minds. You know, and he, and he just kept thinking of this. It's like, oh, does can he do it? Can he, you know, sort of in a in a way, sort of trying to, you know, test him out or whatever. So a- anyway, you know, the next day he went to pay respects to Lumpur Chah, and Lumpur Chah just sort of looked at him and he's like, "Can you even see your own mind? You, what are you doing trying to What are you doing trying to look at my mind? Can you even Can you even notice your own mind yet that it's going all over the place?" And so this this guy sort of thought he was like, "Oh, wow, he caught me." and this guy, he, he wasn't afraid of anyone, but he was, the only person he was ever afraid of was Ajahn Chah. There was another example of a, a lay person came to, to see Ajahn Chah and they, obviously they walked through the monastery to go and find him. And so as soon as that lay person came in and sat down, he said, he said do you see the tiger that I'm, that I'm raising at the front? And the lay person was like, what, what tiger? You didn't see a tiger? He's like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm raising a tiger out the front. He's out there in that, in that, in that hut out the front there. 
So the layperson was obviously quite confused and so they decided to go back and say, well, where's this tiger he's talking about? So they went back to the place where Ajahn Chah said that he was raising the tiger and the hut he was said he was raising the tiger. And so this layperson is looking around this monk's hut and, and the monk's come in and he's going, well, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I just talked to Ajahn Chah and he said, you know, he's, he's looking after a tiger and the, you know, the tiger's in his hut and this monk was like, oh, because this, this monk was prone to a lot of anger and a lot of, you know. <laughs> so, so, so he, he realizes like, oh, Ajahn Chah knows that I'm sitting in my kuti fuming or whatever. So, so he, he did all these, these quite indirect things to, you know, to, to teach monks. But, um, you know, he, he wouldn't always do things like that. Sometimes he would teach quite straight, but sometimes he would use all these different kinds of uh, techniques to teach people, and, but, but not do it in a, in a you know, full-on direct way in these, where he's doing things in these special ways. You know, even at, even at times when, when Ajahn Chah was quite sick, he, you could see his mind was still quite sharp and quite agile. And even, even when he was bedridden, you could, you know, his eyes were still they're, they're quite fierce and quite sharp. So if you, if you were looking after him and you were doing anything wrong, and if he shot you a glance, even though he was bedridden, you'd, you'd just get scared and you'd, you know, you'd want to behave yourself. For me, I, 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 I helped look after him for a lot of years and I, I Personally, I didn't really get into any trouble, but that that didn't mean that I could just sort of do whatever I wanted, and I was, and I, and you know, just be. I I did really have to be mindful, and I did every all the time that I was uh, looking after him, I had to I had to practice, and I had to keep my mind under control. But obviously, there's times where the mind slips, um, and it goes off the meditation word. But I noticed whenever my mind had slipped, Ajahn Chah would shoot me a fierce look, and it was ooh. So, you know, he, you could see he was, he was teaching me and he knew what was going on. There was another time where somebody bought Ajahn Chah an orange juice and I was sitting there as well and uh, they, they bought him the juice or whatever and they put it in front of him and I just, uh, my mind slipped once again and I went, oh, orange juice, that looks good. It's, 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 it's quite high in vitamin C. I reckon if I had some of that, I'd, I'd feel good. And he's probably because I've read a lot of books about vitamins and stuff. But so anyway, and like Lumpur Chah just looked straight at me and he said, "You see this cup of orange juice? This is where this is the place where you die." And, I'm like, <laughs> and I was just, "Ooh." So, so he, you know, he, you know, he, 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 his mindfulness was perfect. You know, even even though he was he was a lot older and he was quite sick. You know, his mindfulness was perfect. Things like things like people seeing like uh, devadas or sitting meditation and seeing lights and seeing different images or whatever. This was something that you know you just you couldn't you couldn't talk to him about. It's something he really didn't he really didn't support. You know he he, he it wasn't like he disbelieved in those things, but he was worried about people getting off the wrong path and and sort of going a little bit crazy. And so if somebody comes and says to him, oh, I've sat meditation and I see a light, and he's like, well, why is that so special? You go in the city and there's heaps of lights. You know, right? <laughs> so he, you know, he, you know, but the, the thing was he had great compassion. He didn't want people to you know, get off the path and get lost. He didn't want people to get sort of caught up in their own thinking. So, and, and in that, so that's why he taught the direct path. He taught the, the path of bringing the mind to calmness and letting go of all mental emotions. There's actually there's a lot of there's a lot of stories about Ajahn Chah that, that have that have gone around over the years, um, but 
you know, and, but some have come from his, you know, his very, very close disciples and, and people that have seen things with their, clo- with, you know, with their own eyes. And, and those, those disciples tell me, have told me these sort of things. So it's, it's like hearing it from first-hand experience. There's a monk called Lumpur Owen, and he's, he's, he's not a direct disciple of Ajahn Chah, but he's a little bit, he's a little bit junior to Ajahn Chah, and, but he spent, he spent a lot of time with Ajahn Chah. And and he he relays the story of um, the like one year one year before Ajahn Chah would went to the place that would later become Wat Pong. he was staying um, they were both staying together for the range retreat at a, a very secluded place and Ajahn Chah was was doing you know a, a lot of practice in those days he you know he wouldn't come down to eat he'd only come down to eat once every fifteen days other than that he'd stay up by the on the hill by himself and not come down at all. So anyway, on one of the days that, that Ajahn Chah came down, because Ajahn Chah is more senior than Lumpur Owen, Ajahn Chah would walk in front, would walk in front of Lumpur Owen. And so anyway, that, that day they were walking and, and there was like mud or whatever. And, and Lumpur Owen like swears he saw this with his own eyes. Lumpur Chah would walk, but he, his feet didn't touch the ground. He's like, he's like, he, he, like he, hovered o- he hovered over the ground sort of thing. And he, he was obviously looking and he's like, his feet aren't touching the ground. So, and this is something he, you know, he saw with his own eyes, and he's a monk, and so he can't lie. So, um, so uh, Lumpur Owen is actually a close to, he's actually a, a disciple of a monk called Lumpur Ginnery, who was a, another, a disciple of Lumpur Mun, who's considered the father of the forest tradition. Um, he also, he also um, stayed a while with another monk called Lumpur Tongrat, who was, who was another teacher of Ajahn Chah's as well. And so, you know, he, you know, all these great masters, they, they used examples to teach people, um, to teach people to get rid of their views and opinions. Like, so one day, Lumpotonwak was walking with some of his disciples and they're walking along a road or whatever and they saw a cow and he's like, oh, can you see the cow? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, it's a nice female cow, isn't it? And so they looked at it and they're like, no, that's a male cow. Uh, and he's like, no, 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 it's a female cow. And so they're like, no, I'm looking at it, I'm sure it's a male cow, like I'm positive. And so they were arguing with him, you know, and they're arguing back and forth. And, you know, and, and Ajahn Ginnery just said, well, you know, is there any such thing as like a male and a female? And, and straight away the monk realized, he's like, oh, he's, he's teaching me about like conventional reality. So he humbled himself after that. Um, another sort of story is uh, when in, in the time that Ajahn Chah actually started Wat Nompopong, you know, you know, in those days in, in northeast Thailand, it's sort of, it's one of those things like everybody just smokes cigarettes. Um, so when they first started uh, Wat Nampopong, you know, all the monks there, they all smoked cigarettes or whatever. And anyway, it wasn't until, it wasn't until later when the western monks came in and, and they said, oh, no, smoking's a bad thing, it doesn't look very good. And after that, Ajahn Chah said, okay, we'll change. And we, you know, none of us can smoke cigarettes. But obviously, you know, monks have, you know, some of the monks have been doing it their whole lives or whatever. Um, so obviously they, they try and go off and sneak smokes every now and again. So there was, there was a time where it was like, you know, the, whatever, the smoking group or whatever. They go down to the dying shed and, you know, around the dying shed there's all like, there's all leaves. There's all like dead leaves or whatever. And so they go down, they knew, because if, if anyone was coming they'd hear it and so they'd be like, oh, we'll have a quiet smoke, but, you know, everyone be quiet because if Ajahn Chah comes he's going to bust us or whatever. Like a bunch of little high school kids. So anyway, anyway, the, you know, they had this smoking group or whatever. And so one day they're, they're having a smoke and they're like, yeah, be quiet, be quiet. You know, don't, don't say anything. But they're just sitting around talking sort of thing. And, 
And anyway, so they started to talk or whatever. Then all of a sudden, one of them turned around and Ajahn Chah was standing right behind him. Yeah, no, you know, nobody heard him come at all, sort of thing. And that guy, he was, he was scared out of his pants and he, you know, shivering, sort of thing. But the good thing about that was after that day, that guy, that monk quit smoking. So, so, yeah. So, an example that I, you know, that I, that I saw of Ajahn Chah doing these kind of things. Um, when I was a younger monk, at, uh, in those days at the front of Wat Pong, there was a channel, there was a, a channel ground like a, where they used to go and throw the bodies away in the forest. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and try, you know, go meditate in there. And, you know, ever since I was a little kid, I've been scared of, you know, scared of ghosts and death and all those, as, as, most, as most kids are. So I, I was sitting there that night and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I hope no ghosts come. I hope, you know, I'm, I'm really sort of praying. It's like, oh, don't let any ghosts come tonight because I don't think I could handle it. And it's like, you know, please, Lumpur Cha, help me, you know what I mean, tonight. It, you know, if any ghosts are going to come, come tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I'm there going, oh, Lumpur Cha, help me. And then all of a sudden, uh, I see this light. I see a light coming and, was, and I heard a voice. It's like, who's over there? And it's like, and I said, oh, it's it's me, um, um, Pranan. It's like, oh, oh, okay. And it was it was Ajahn Chah. He'd sort of he'd sort of come to check on him. So you know, he he sort of he must have been. Usually, he didn't go out walking in the monastery at that time of the night. So it was usually a lot earlier he came out. He you know most of the time he'd already gone to bed and he didn't he usually didn't walk out that far. So you know, Ajahn Chah knew. So. So either way, what we need to take this as a, as a lesson of is like if we have a good teacher, you know, we, when we find someone that's a really good teacher, we should respect that teacher with the utmost. So all of these great teachers that, that have trained in our, like in the tradition that we have here in the Thai forest tradition, you know, the, they train to the utmost. They, they put their life on the lines for the Dharma and they train with like the, you know, the great masters like Lumpur Man. Um, uh, and they followed the path and, and they saw the results of the path. Um, and so, so fr- from them following that path, they know that they know the correct path to walk. They know the pitfalls. They know the dangers. So now, now they come out and they teach this path. So this is, you know, all of us should take this as a good example and we should be following what they teach because they've seen the results for themselves. And they, and they know, like, they know what the path is and they know how one should develop a calm mind and they know how one should keep good morality. They've done these things and they've got the results for themselves and they've seen the Dhamma in their own hearts. And out of their great kindness, you know, they want you to, they want you to follow this path as well because they know how, how beneficial it is. You know, this is, this is, this is quite important to have a good teacher there because all good teachers, all they want their disciples to do is to see the Dharma, is to see the truth that the Buddha was teaching. So now we're, we're quite lucky in, in the world at the moment. We, we have these teachers and, and these teachers, some of these teachers have only just recently passed away. We've had the great, great teachers like, like Lumpur Man, we've had Long Dharma Haboa, uh, Ajahn Ginnery, uh, Ajahn, Ajahn Tongra, Ajahn Gongma, Lumpur Fun, Lumpur Wan, all these, all these great teachers all the way down to Ajahn Chah. So we have all these great teachers that have seen the path and the, the, the path that they walked on and the path that they practiced after. That's the sure path because they've seen the results for themselves. You can, see, you can see nowadays there's all these different kinds of meditation techniques and this, you know, this person saying they know the way to enlightenment and that person saying they know the, they know the way of the Dharma or whatever. 
but a lot of the times it isn't sure. But if, if you take these teachers, these, these, these are monks that have really trained themselves to the fullest and seen the full Dharma. And so they teach this path to you and they want you to stay with this path. And if you do stay with this path, one, one day for sure you, you will see the Dharma that they saw as well. So I hope you all, I wish you all the very best in developing this path that they've laid down. There's 15 minutes left if anyone's got quick questions. So the question was, just for anyone that didn't hear it, um, how, how do we know a good monk when we see one? Like, um, how do we know that they're practicing well and how do we know that we should have faith in that monk? And if we do, you know, if, how, how should we, you know, if we do see one of these monks and um, we just meet them on the street, we don't know anything about them, should we... Should we find out about their background before we pay respects to them? Or, you know, what should we do if somebody invites us to go and listen to their teachings or something? Should we go? Should we, you know, should we follow these teachings? And, but in essence, how do, we know, how do we know a good monk when we see one? Really, with, with, with a situation like this, you, the, the main thing you need to have is wisdom. You need, um, it, it's, for example, it's like when you go and buy something. It's like you don't just go and buy the first thing. You don't grab the first thing on the shelf. You, you look at the product, you, you know, you check it out and you, you do all those different kinds of things. So you're investigating what, you know, what's a good product to buy. Um, it's, you know, you have to use that same kind of wisdom to, if, if you want to try and find a good monk. You know, uh, you know, at the very, at the very basic level of a good monk, a good monk is someone that should keep to the vinaya very well, keep to the discipline, keep the morality in in very good order. This is this is like an outer, this is like an outer gauge where you can really gauge how, how good a monk is. And you, you have to you have to look at this. How good is their is their vinaya? And you have to notice this over a long period of time. Do they keep it well? You know, or are they just are they, are they just putting on a show? Um. But you know, you you might not know it like a deeper in a in a level of you know what that monk's mind is really like. So so a lot of times you you can't just take face value as well. You can't just take what what the sort of act somebody puts on on the outside. So um, you know you have to you have to in that case yeah you do have to ask friends and you have to look at that monk as like has he got like long standing disciples. Um, does he teach well? You have you have to look you have to really look over all these sort of things. Like for for the Ajahn personally, he when when he wanted he'd heard lots of good things about Ajahn Chah before he ordained as a monk. He heard all these great stories, and then he had he had really good friends in the Dharma, like like uh, Lumpur Bunna, who was a very good monk, and and Lumpur Bunna recommended him, and and so many people recommended Ajahn Chah. So. In that, the Ajahn had faith in Lumpur Bunda and, and like he had faith in all these other people's opinions as well. So that's why he went. And then after that, he went and he went and met Ajahn Chah and and, and saw what Ajahn Chah was about. So so you really you this is something that's quite important as well. You need good friends in the Dharma and you need people that can give you good advice and right advice and people that have the right information. Um, and you need to you need to ask them. You need to go see these monks or whatever and and ask ask these people. Ask these good friends of yours. Uh, so, in in a way, it's like it's like we need a map, sort of thing, uh, to find someone like this. And but on this map, for you people in Sydney, you guys you guys are quite lucky. You have someone that like Jalkun Mahasamai here. He's a very good monk. He's been a he's been a monk for a very very long time, and and he's he's very respected by by all all the monks in our sangha. 
you know, this, this is someone you should really go and see and you should really go and ask him about different monks because, you know, he's been around a long time and he knows uh, and, you know, he has, he has a very tempered opinion and he's someone who has a lot of loving kindness. But for the Ajahn himself, he says, he, the Ajahn himself respects Jalkum Mahasamai a lot. He's, he's someone that's shown the Ajahn a lot of kindness and even the very first time Ajahn Anand came to Australia, which was like 13 years ago, Jalkum Mahasamai didn't, didn't even know Ajahn and Ajahn didn't know him, but Jalkum showed him so much, so much kindness and he let him stay there and he helped organise all these different things. And he, 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 was, he was really just a humble and kind monk. So the Ajahn respects him a lot. So, so this is, you guys are quite lucky here. You can go and ask, you can go and ask Jalquin. And, you know, also in aspects of the Dhamma and aspects about your practice, he's, you know, he's been practicing for a long time. So you can go and ask him. You, so you're, you're already, so in that, you already have a good friend here. You know, but in, in saying all that is, is, um, <clears throat> You know, whatever whatever monk you see in, like you know, you might have faith in in different in different kinds of monks or whatever. Um, but whatever whatever monk you have faith in, you know, then you should you, know, you should try and help out and you should try and listen to him and follow what he's teachings. And then you know, even you know, in the end, if he isn't like a great monk, it's like you know, you you've given from a heart of goodness and you've put your heart into it fully. So and you know, if if you're doing that, then maybe one day, even if he isn't good now, maybe he will be good in the future. He, he, there, there was a time the Yajan went and saw Lumpur Louis and, and somebody actually asked him about this and Lumpur Louis said, well, you know, if you can't meet a good monk, that doesn't matter. It's just if you find a monk, go and, go and, pay, you know, go and try and help him out because if you're doing that, you're thinking of the goodness of the Buddha Dharma Sangha. You're thinking about uh, making merit with good monks. So this, you know, this, this here already is very important as well. Anyone didn't hear that? If, if, if we were to find out somehow that a monk wasn't so good, should we should we let others know that that monk isn't good, or should we just we should we just keep our mouth shut? Lots of, lots of conversations going on there. So I'll, 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 do, I'll do my best. Okay. So you all had the question. So, but what, what you really have to look at and the, the, way, the, way you, the way you, in a way you make your decisions, you have to look at that monk, the way they practice and and what they, what, they, what they take on as their foundation and what they take on as their, their standpoint of, of, of being a monk. Um, you know, a monk even came and asked Ajahn Chah this once. It's like, you know, can I take you as my, my, one, my example? And Ajahn Chah just looked at him and said, no, you take the Buddha as your example because the Buddha was perfect in every way. He laid out the Dharma, he laid out the Vinaya, and in all aspects it was perfect in every, in every way. So, so the Buddha was the highest. The, the Buddha was the highest example that we can take. Um, but then, but then, as uh, the Buddha is the highest, and then coming down from that, you have you have the noble sangha. And in our day and age, we have, we, as I said before, we're quite lucky to have really good monks, monks like Longtama Habua and Ajahn Chah, and and they they're trying to keep 
this, this perfect mode of practice that the Buddha put down. They're trying to keep that alive and keep that in practice. So that, the, these two monks, like Ajahn Chah and Lung Mahabur, they were the, in a way, they were, um, how do you say, like a, a, little, a little bit before us or whatever. And so they now have disciples that have gone out into the world and they're, they're teaching or whatever. And so, so what you have to look at is, are those monks, the, the, newer, the, newer, the newer monks or whatever, are they following? Are they following what great monks like Ajahn Chah said and great monks like Lungta Mahabur said because those monks were, were following the Buddha who was following perfection, um, who was a, a, the epitome of perfection. You have to see, you know, and for, for example, in our Wat Nampapong Sangha, it's like, well, is a monk doing something outside what, Lumpur, what Ajahn Chah taught? Is he doing something outside um, the way of practice that Ajahn Chah was teaching? Um, you know, if he is, you have to take that into consideration, but you also have to have wisdom as well and go, well, well maybe, you know, it might be outside what he's teaching, but, you know, maybe what he's doing in his specific situation, it isn't, it isn't entirely wrong. It might be, he might consider it right or whatever, but what you have to realise is, you know, we are sort of stuck in the conventional world and we need to, um, uh, we, we have different groups or whatever. Um, and it, like it does, you know, to, to keep, like to keep different traditions alive. So, but it doesn't mean that they can't get along. So, you know, if, for example, you have Mahayana and you have Theravada. These two, in many ways, these are quite different, but you can look at it as just like, it's being the two weak, Two wings of the one bird. It's, they, you know, that bird needs both wings to fly, so they need both those aspects, like Mahayana and Theravada, to, to fly, and that means to like spread the Buddha's teachings. So, so what you know, what you really need to ask yourself, if and if you think this a particular monk is no good, it's like you, you know, you, you really need to ask yourself, okay, if if you're going to say something about this, are you doing anything against your own morality? And 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 then someone jumped in and said, yeah, yeah, it's wrong, it's wrong. And so and the agent said, well, you know, why? It's like because it's 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 like it's it's paying out someone, and it might just be that person's own opinions. Um, where I got lost. Um, so. You know, you know, but the agent once again just said, you know, you, you have to, you have to see, are, are they, are they, are they following like the, the correct mode of practice? Are they, are they doing all these right things? And so, and, and we have to know for ourselves. We have to take the examples that we see in our own lives of that monk. What, what they're doing is, um, we have to know for ourselves if they're good or they're not good. And all of us, we all have different kinds of faith. Maybe, maybe one of us has faith in one monk, but another one has faith in another monk. Um, it, it, some people like different things, different qualities of a monk. Some, maybe, maybe somebody likes a monk who's very, very little and, you know, maybe speaks very little or whatever, but others might like monk, another monk who's, you know, has a, whatever is a bit more outgoing, is, shows a lot of kindness or whatever. So different people have different kinds of, kinds of opinions with these things. It's, it, it, for example, it's like you, you, none of you here eat the same food. You know, none of you here drive the same car. Everybody has different tastes. Everybody has different opinions. So whatever monk you like, you know, you should follow them. It, it's fine. But but where it becomes wrong is when you start you start taking your monk as the only right monk, and and everybody else's monks a bad monk. So 
that, that, that's, that's the main thing, even though you may have different opinions about these sort of things. It's like, just don't argue over them. Like, and, don't, and don't attach to your view as the right view. So, you know, in essence, you know, which, whichever one you have faith in, that's the one you should follow. And which, whichever one you feel has done the right thing, they, they're the ones you should follow. Sometimes you might notice in the course of, like, uh, like in the course of time with a monk, maybe they start out really good. Um, they start out, they're very, you know, very content with little and they're very, you know, very what we call like, you know, very strict or whatever. But then over time they gradually change and, you know, they let these different things go. And so you, you, but this, you know, this is normal. This is normal for things to change and normal for people to change. And it's, you know, basically it's normal for opinions to change as well. But what you, what the thing that you really can notice is if a monk changes too much off, off the path of, of like the great teachers and, and the path of the Buddha, this means this monk doesn't have a good strong foundation and, and that's not a monk you should follow. So he, once again he emphasizes the main thing is just don't argue about it. That's, that's, you know, that's the wrong thing to do. It's like, you know, the, you have to take the example, there's, there's like the Zen example of the flag in the wind. There was two monks, so uh, they were looking at a flag up on the flag post and, you know, it was waving in the wind and one monk said, it's, it's waving because there's a flag there and the other one's going, no, 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 it's waving because there's wind there and they were arguing about it. And then the teacher walked over and he's gone, there's no flag, there's no wind. Over. So... You know, the, you know these things. These things are just—they're just conventional reality. In, in essence, all these things are empty. So just let them go.